Every time I try to make it on my own Every time I try to stand, I start to fall All those lonely roads that I've traveled on There was Jesus When the life I built came crashing to the ground When the friends I had were nowhere to be I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now. There was Jesus. In the waiting, in the searching, in the healing and the hurting, like a blessing buried in the broken pieces. Every minute, every moment where I've been, man who needs amazing kind of grace and forgiveness at a price I couldn't pay I'm not perfect so I thank God every day there was Jesus there was Jesus in the waiting in the searching in the healing and the Blessing buried in the broken pieces. Every minute, every moment, where I've been or where I'm going, even when I didn't know it, I couldn't see it. There was Jesus on the mountains, in the valleys. There was Jesus in the shadows of the alleys. In the fire and in the flood, he always is and always was. No, I never walk alone. You're always there. In the waiting, in the searching, in the healing and the like a blessing buried in the broken pieces. Every minute, every moment, where I've been, where I'm going, even when I didn't know it, I couldn't see it. There was Jesus. There Good morning. We are so glad that y'all could join us today here at the Jennings Family Ministry Building. This past week has been a challenging week of ministry, and we celebrated the life of Gary W. Jennings. And uh, thank y'all for the support you've given the family. Continue to pray for them during this time 
And, uh, you know, we're, a lot of us are here today because of his ministry, and uh, we are thankful for that. But as we gathered back together today to worship, um, we have so much to be thankful for. And uh, it's a reason to celebrate. It's a reason to worship. And that should be the overflow of our heart today is just say, God, thank you for all that you've done, all that you're going to do. You know, that song there um, was written by Zach Williams. And this is what he said about that song. He said, looking back at 20 years ago when I had no idea that God was in the moment, that he was even with me through some of the hard things that have gone through, gone in my life. He says, now I can see that he had his hand in everything I was doing. Can y'all relate to that? As you look back, you just say, God, you've been faithful every step of the way. Isaiah 25 verses 1 through 4 says this, or 1 one and 4 says, O Lord, I will honor and praise your name for you are my God. You do such wonderful things. You planned them long ago and now you have accomplished them. You're a tower of refuge to the poor. O Lord, a tower of refuge to the needy in distress. You are a refuge from the storm and a shelter from the heat. So as we gather here today, I hope that you can celebrate and give thanks to the Lord for what he's done in your life, that this may be a time for you just to stop and realize that God is at work no matter what you're going through and give him praise. But as uh, we gather to worship, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. And just a, a quick reminder, y'all can go ahead and stand up. Um, just to let you know, we will receive a love offering at the end of the service for Caring Hearts Pregnancy Center. Uh, Mark's going to say a, a quick word about that. We'll watch a quick video for the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. But just so you all know, um, our ushers will be at the door today. But if you are not prepared to give but would like to, we've made that option available on our website and our giving page. There will be a drop-down menu, and you can give online to Caring Hearts Pregnancy Center, as Mark will rec uh, talk about here just shortly. But right now, let's just join our hearts together in prayer as we prepare our hearts for worship. God, we thank you that every step of our life, you've been with us. Lord, you have a plan. The things that you planned long ago, you have accomplished, and you are continuing to accomplish. Lord, we're thankful that we can gather here today and worship you and praise you, and may our hearts be changed as we turn our attention towards you in this world today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's celebrate and worship.
You created my endless being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious life is. Every day is a gift. I want you to remember Caring Hart's pregnancy as, as they're trying to save life. Uh, remember them and give to them. Last year they were unable to have their banquet here, and they're, they're in great need. They're in need of your help financially, where they can continue on to save life and help those, encourage those to save life. So this morning we want to remember them in prayer, but also we want to support them financially. Also this morning, we want to remember the, the Jennings family as we pray. Would you join me in prayer this morning as we lift these things up this morning? Father, we thank you for life. Lord, we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you that you are the giver of life. And Father, we want to thank you that, Lord, that you formed us in our mother's womb. And God, you created us in your image. Father, we want to thank you this morning for loving us and breathing life into us. And Lord, every day is a gift. And Lord, help us to respect that. Help us to cherish that. And Father, to cherish one another because life is short. And Father, we want to thank you for caring hearts. We pray that you would bless their ministry and their outreach to our community, our county. Lord, because they love life and life is so important. And this morning, we remember the Jennings family. Father, we remember Linda and the girls and grandkids. 
We pray you continue to comfort them throughout their day and throughout their weeks to come, the months to come. Thank you for Gary. Thank you for his ministry. Thank you for his love for us and for you. And Father, this morning, we just want to thank you for who you are. Thank you for life that you've given us today. I pray you'd bless this time of service. I pray you'd have the preeminence in your lordship through the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, you'd push back the evil that we face in our world today. God, I pray for our nation. Lord, it's divided in so many different ways that you'd bring unity and peace and help. And Father, this morning we asked you to intervene and intercede on our behalf according to your word in Romans 8. And Father, we love you this morning. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, praise team. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12 and stand as we continue our series in Romans chapter 12. Last week we looked at um, loving without hypocrisy, abhorring what is evil, and clinging to what is good. So naturally we're going to flow into verse 10, and the title of this short part of this series is Authentic Christianity. What does an authentic Christian look like? And last week I explained that for 11 chapters, Paul has given us probably the greatest theology uh, in the Bible. And then in verse 12, or chapter 12, he tells us how to live. Verses 3 through 8, you have spiritual gifts, and you're to use those spiritual gifts in the church setting and in the community, but primarily in the church setting. If God has gifted you, you're to use those gifts to bring Him honor and glory in the church setting. Also, we are to love, and our love is to be real. We're to hate what is evil, okay? And then you're to cling to what is good. And we talked last week about how good God's word is. Now notice verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. He gives us two commands here. To love, to have brotherly love, and to honor others. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the grace that saves Father, we thank you, Lord, that we are your children. Father, today we're going to see the importance of loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, out of that, Lord, it'll be an apologetic, it'll be evangelistic to a lost world. Then and only then can we truly love them and share the gospel and let it not be without hypocrisy. So Father, today I pray that we'd make a commitment to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, to show honor to all people that are born again. Lord, to show honor. There's no, there's no uh, levels here in, in this church. Lord, we're all the same. The ground is level at Calvary's cross. And Father, we're all bought with a price, made in the image of God, and saved because of your grace. And that, that means that not one person is any better than the other. It doesn't matter who you are or what your background is. And Father, I pray that we would show honor to our brothers and sisters of Christ as well. We'll thank you and praise you for what you do today as we obey these two commands. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Martin Luther said this about Romans. This letter is truly the most important piece in the New Testament. It is, it is purest gospel. It is well worth a Christian's while not only to memorize it word for word, but also to occupy himself with it daily as though it were the daily bread of the soul. It is impossible to read or meditate on this letter too much or too well. The more one deals with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. I find it amazing that when Paul talks about our theology, okay, then he goes from theology to behavior. The first area he deals with is the area of relationships. And you've got to understand this. The area that he deals with is relationships among brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Okay, everything we're going to talk about today involves your relationship with the church universal, but the church local. Okay, you're to love your neighbor, you're also to love the world. But today, Paul applies this to the church. Now, let me ask you a question if God is your father, if he is, if you're born again and God is my father, that makes us what? Brothers and sisters, your eternal family will last forever. Okay, your human family may or may not. You pray that they do, but your eternal family will last forever. All these one another's in the Bible—they're all about brothers and sisters in Christ. When John talks about loving your brother and all those things, it's all about uh, your brothers and sisters in Christ. It does not even apply to the lost world. Or when Paul's writing to the church at Rome, what he's saying today does not even apply to Rome. It applies to the church at Rome. You got to understand that because the church is a family. And he gives us two commands, and the first one is this, brotherly love. Brotherly love. Now notice the verse on the screen. He says this, be kindly affectionate. Look at the words one another. He's not talking about the world. He's talking about those that are born again. The church universal and the church local. For you could apply that here to East Hillsville Baptist Church. You're to be kindly affectionate. We're going to look at that word. To one another with brotherly love. And then the other command is this. In honor, giving preference to one another. Or some, some translations say, outdo one another in giving honor to each other. Isn't that amazing? That means I'm to honor you and you're to honor me. Okay, I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. Because we're born again. I don't get special treatment here. Neither do you. We're to honor each other. I am to love you, be kindly affectionate to you with brotherly love. See, in verse 9, when we looked at that word for love, that is a self-sacrifice. That means I'm going to give up my rights and privileges, privileges if I have to, to love you. This one here talks more about being in a family relationship. It's almost like that between a husband, wife, a brother, sister, parent, child. That's what it means. Uh, one, one person put it this way. He said, this involves loving the church family. And he goes on to say this. One of the most common ways in which the biblical writers address the Christian family is the term brethren. And this term means brothers and sisters in Christ. It is used in the Bible approximately 230 times and literally means from the same womb. This implies that we are vitally related to each other through a shared Christian heritage and a common birth and more precisely the experience of being born again. Anytime you see these words, for example, 1 Peter 1.22, we looked at this last week. If you'll notice it, notice what he says. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, he was meaning universal, but for Peter, whoever he was writing to, your local congregation, fervently love each other or one another from the heart. That means I'm, that word fervently means I stretch it like we talked about last week. Sometimes it hurts to love the brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Sometimes it does. Sometimes you are tough to deal with. No, I'm just kidding. But he's saying you stretch it, and you do it from the heart. It's real. It's not hypocritical. Because in Peter's day, and we're going to study this book on Sunday mornings in the future, they were spread out, had, didn't have many rights and privileges. The world was not loving these people. He says you better love each other. Okay? Stretch it out, fervently love one another. It shows that what he's talking about in, in verse 10 is he's talking about the family. Listen to what 1 John 5 says. Whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. Whoever loves the father loves the, his children, which means this, God has children. We're not all God's children. It's nowhere in the Bible. That's in secular pagan society that will say that. 
Nowhere in the Bible does it say just because you're born that you're God's child. You're God's creation. It's nowhere in the Bible. Notice what 1 John 4, 2 says. 4, 420, I'm sorry. On the screen, if someone says, I love God. Don't, we all, don't everybody say that? I love God. And hates his brother. Talking about if you say you love God, let's put it in our context, and you hate somebody in this church, this is what he would say. You're a liar. And what the word liar means, if you remember in Revelation where it says there will be no liars in heaven, that means you've lied about your life. You say you're a Christian, but even you know you're not. Okay? If, if someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, look at the word hate. That's a strong word. That means I love you less than anything in the world. Hates his brother. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Talking about the family relationship within the church. 1 Thessalonians 4.9 says this. Paul's writing about the undeniable responsibility of the believer to love the body of Christ when he says this. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. Why? Because it should be in your nature to love each other. You know, nobody had to teach me to love my brother. All right? Nobody had to teach me to love my sister. It was in my nature. Listen to what Paul says. Now as to the love of the brethren, the body of Christ, you have no need for anybody to write you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. When you're born again, nobody should have to teach this to you. It should be in you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ because God has changed your nature. And you've got to understand this was so foreign to Roman Greco culture. Just read history. It was so foreign that you have this kind of love for people that you barely knew. Notice Ephesians 2.19 on the screen. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Same family. You have a universal family and you have a local family. John 1 sums it up. Notice what he says. Distinguishing between those that are born again and those that are not. But as many, not all, but as many as received him, which means I've accepted his claims and I accept his call on my life. To them, not all, he gave the power, which is the Holy Spirit's power, only God can convert, to become, which means you wasn't that before, all right, sons of God. We are not all God's children. That's why evangelism is so important. This, just don't listen to that. If somebody says that, just turn them off. It's nowhere in the Bible. Even to them, he goes on to, to clarify it, that believe on his name, okay? And what, God, what Paul is saying is this. All right, since we're a family, we should love each other. Now look at verse 10. Notice what he says. With tender affection. Doesn't sound too manly, does it? With tender affection, with a family-type love, I am supposed to love you. Notice that word affection. When Paul was writing to the church at Philippi, he says this. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Christ. The word affection is intestines or inner organs. The idea is I long for you and love you not just with the act of will, power, but with deep and tender affections. I miss you. I'm homesick for you. Listen, that's kind of like Phil Hoskins said to the Jennings family uh, this past week. You grieve much because you loved much. You don't grieve for people. You feel bad for people, but you don't grieve for people that you don't know. How many funerals were last year? 300, 400 in this? I grieved for our family members. Amen? The other ones, I felt bad for them, but I didn't grieve because I didn't know them. Okay? 
what Paul's telling the church of Philippi, I grieve for you, I miss you, I'm homesick for you. Now look at verse 10. Now this is a command to obey. He says this, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. We kind of understand what brotherly love is, but kindly affectionate? Let me ask you a question, okay? Or, or let me give you an example. One day I was leaving, one night I was leaving church here on a Wednesday night. It's been several, several years ago, okay? About 8.30, 9.30, very dark and cold, and I'm just driving along and my phone buzzes. Okay, when I got to the stoplight, all right, when I got to the stoplight, I looked at it. And it was from a man in this church, and this is what it said. I love you. I'm like, what? <laughs> Some etiquette, guys. Unless you're my brother or my grandpa, don't text me I love you. All right, Te <laughs> don't do that. This is what you do. Love you. That's what you text, right? Love you, love y'all, love you. No, I love you. Okay, that's what you tell your wife. Don't text your preacher, I love you, preacher. Love you, preacher. That's, that's fine, okay? I love you crosses the line. Now, what's going to happen to me now, this week? I'm going to get I love you text from about 100 people, probably. <laughs> but that night, I got this I love you, you know? And I knew the guy, he's a great guy. He's my brother in Christ, right? And I just, I think I sent back quotation marks. Or I may have texted him back, I love you too, handsome. I can't remember what I texted back. And he said this, that was for my daughter, okay? Because he understood the rules. You don't say I love you to guys, okay? We don't do that, all right? Be kindly affectionate, you know what it is? Love you, I love you. I do. And what that means is, is I'm not just going to say it, but if you have a need, I'm going to try my best to meet it, even if it costs me something. That's why the early church exploded it exploded. You, you got, think about this in the Roman culture where you had, you had upper class and then nothing, right? They did not cross paths other than you're working for me and I'm going to treat you bad. The church was different. The church was different. There was no upper and lower class. It was just us and they loved each other and it set the Roman world on fire. You, look at the explosive growth, uh, Christian growth in Rome. It was amazing. These people didn't even have rights. They just loved each other. Imagine if the church in this century would get back, or this decade, to loving people like he calls us to love each other. So my challenge for you today is follow the command of loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Then you can love the world all you want to. But God commands you to love each other. All right? To love each other. The second one is this. Honor one another. If you'll notice verse 10, it's not going to be on the screen. But notice, he says in verse 10, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. It means to outdo each other and honoring each other. All right, The word honor means this, to recognize and acknowledge the value someone has. To recognize the value someone has. It's a very mature person that can honor another person and not have to seek honor for themselves. You recognize and acknowledge the value someone has. Somebody just texts me, they love me. God bless y'all. Y'all are in bad trouble, <laughs> all right? Look, you, you recognize the value and honor that someone has. See, when John the Baptist was preaching, okay, the most popular guy in, in, in Israel, they said that when John would speak, just, not just because of how he dressed, but how he spoke, all the town would come out. Imagine that. Now, God doesn't exaggerate. All the town would come out to hear John. 
because he was preaching. He even had guys following him. He was their rabbi. He was baptizing people. He refused to baptize the Pharisees. And I mean, the common man loved him. He spoke truth. He said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Then Jesus comes along. Okay? Now listen to this. His disciples come to him and they say this. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, talking about Jesus, to whom you have testified, you said he was the Lamb of God. Behold. Now they said, look, all are coming to him. They're not coming to you anymore. See, John recognized and acknowledged the value Jesus had. Notice what he says. He must increase, but I must decrease. See, if you have that kind of attitude, and it's real, it's not fake, you can honor anybody. You just realize you're no better than anybody. Every person in here, I want you to notice two things about every person in here, regardless of how you grew up, regardless of your, your uh, income level, education level, regardless. Of, notice these two facts about each person. Every believer you see walking around here is, is someone purchased at the highest price ever paid for something, the blood of the Son of God. You've been purchased. You're special. You have value, right? And I acknowledge that in you. I'm no better than you. I was purchased too. The second thing is every believer you see possesses the Spirit of God and is destined one day to rule with Christ over the angels. You've got a great future ahead of you. And I should acknowledge that and respect that in you. That means a boss can honor the person working for him and vice versa. Imagine in Rome where you had so many slaves, this master-slave relationship, and the master gets saved and the slave gets saved and they go to the same church. Can you imagine how different that workplace is the next day? Or it should be. That's who Paul's writing to. You honor, you show value to people. You're no better than anybody else. That's why you can honor. When C.S. Lewis spoke about these two thoughts, about people, he said this, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible little g-gods and goddesses. Talking about people that one day will be in a glorified state. He's just using exaggeration here. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature of which, if you saw them now, or saw, if you saw it now, you'd strongly be tempted to worship. What he's saying is this, in your glorified state, you would be a person walking around here that people probably want to worship. That's what your future is. And he says, the lowest of the low, that is their future. Treat them that way. Historian Rodney Starks says one of the distinctive features of the early church was that honor was shown to all people. Listen to this. The church was the only place where the poor, the outcast, people of different rank and nationality were all treated with the honor that comes from being a child of God. The slave and the master were equal, and this was incredibly attractive because it pointed to a new humanity. They valued those no one else valued. All right, you guys need to stop texting me, all right? Let's keep going. See, listen. The reason that racism and prejudice are evil is because it refuses to recognize the honor and dignity God has given to someone. No room for racism in God's kingdom. Amen? None. You honor all people. Listen, one person put it this way, and beware of honoring only one kind of person. One race or one socioeconomic class or one educational level or one sex or one age or one way of dressing or one body weight or one personality. God gets really angry when he sees this kind of dishonoring in the church. Now, this is not on the screen, but listen to what the Lord's brother says. My brothers, show no partiality. What the word partiality there means is it means to receive someone's face. Back in those days, what this word meant was, I'm going to judge you based on what you look like, how you dress, partiality. 
Okay? It means to take them by the face and say, I'm judging you based on how pretty you are or not, or how you dress. Now listen to what James, the Lord's brother, says. This was totally different from the Roman world. He says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in a shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention or show honor to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom of God, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man by showing preference to the rich man. James says he's no better than a guy who has nothing in, in, in the church. We don't have special seating here. By the way, I sit on the front pew. You can meet, you can meet sit with me any Sunday you want to. Okay? If, if, if the governor came to East Tellersville uh, next Sunday, he don't get special seat neither. He's no different than anybody else. All right? In the church, you don't show preferences. As a matter of fact, whenever uh, it, James is, keeps on going, he says, therefore receive one another. It's like, almost like with open arms. The rich man and the poor man. Just as Christ has received us to the glory of God. And what he says is, Jesus received you without respect of persons. There was a, there was a time in Jesus' gospel, or in Matthew's gospel, where it says the Pharisees came to Jesus. It says, then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle Jesus in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know, this is what they say, We know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone for you do not regard the person of man. What he's saying is this, you don't hold one person above the other. You see everybody as equal. Matter of fact, James goes on to say this. If you have respect of persons, you commit sin and you're convicted of the law as a transgressor. No person here is better than any other person. We're all been, we've all been born again by the glory of God. Notice this last verse and we'll hurry up. Notice how you're to do it. Not lagging in diligence. Listen to how this one scholar put it. This says that true love and honor is swift to take action as you see the need. An opportunity to minister to someone. True love is not procrastinating. It is not dragging its heels. You're not lagging behind. It's a Greek word that means not hesitating, not being slack, not being slow, not shrinking back or holding back, not lagging behind, he says, in diligence. And diligence is the opposite of lagging behind. Diligence means zeal, enthusiasm, wholeheartedness. Like your heart is really in this. You're not doing this because you have to. You're doing this because you want to. So we could say this, delayed love is no love. Prompt love is true love. True love does not drag its feet. Another synonym for this is urgency. There's an urgency about true love. Sometimes I think we want to just pray about something too much when we just need to step out and do it. Just do it. No need to pray about it. What you praying about? The only thing you can pray about is, Lord, I hope they're home. You don't pray, should I do this? You do that. You love your neighbor. You love your brother. Notice, fervent in spirit. That means burning, boiling hot. There is a glow about you as you're set on fire to love and honor other people. And then when you do that, this is what he says you do. You serve the Lord. Preacher, where can I serve in the church? Love you, brother. Love you, brother. Honor, honor you, brother and sister in Christ. That's serving. You know, some people are called to teach a class. Not everybody is. 
We're all called to love our brother. That's serving. You're serving the Lord. Notice, this shows that this fervency is put into action, that your shoulder is to the plow, that you're actually serving with dynamic activity. That word for serving is where we get the word for slave. I'm slaving over you because I love you. You're serving the Lord when you do that. Jesus taught us this principle in Matthew 25. It says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of, of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those at His right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, As surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, brethren, you did it to me. Same thing uh, Paul is saying here. So when you love your brother and sister in Christ with brotherly love and tender affection, and you show honor to all of God's family, you in essence are serving the Lord. Now listen, Jesus said this in John 13, 34, 35. Jesus said this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And he gives the reason why. By this, all men, the whole world, will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Jesus told his disciples, if you just love each other, it's going to be evangelistic. One scholar put it this way, this is evangelistic. When brotherly love is evident in our church, then those who are outside Christ are able to see love and will identify us as disciples of Christ, what they see in our church must not be the same as what they see in the world. The world is characterized by hatred, hostility, backstabbing, criticism, envy, competition, and exploitation. Our church should not be characterized by these things at all, but rather by mutual love, giving, appreciation, thanksgiving, and praise for one another. In closing, let me ask you these three questions. Are you in the family? Is God your father? Is God your father? Has there ever been a time when you repented of your sins and placed your faith and trust in the resurrected Christ and God's Holy Spirit has entered your body? If not today, the thing I would encourage you to do is to place your faith and trust in Jesus. Are you showing love to your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you? Do you gossip about your brothers and sisters in Christ or do you pray for them? Good question. Do you have any unforgiveness for anybody in this church? then you're not loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's the, here's the last thing. Who, who this week do I need to honor and show honor to? We've been commanded to love our brothers and sisters in Christ with brotherly love, and we've been commanded to show honor to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And in doing that, we will be truly serving the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, what Paul shared some 2,000 plus years ago Lord, really changed the culture in Rome. And because of the love the church had for each other, it flowed out in the love for the community. Lord, it was evangelistic, it was apologetic, and Lord, many in Rome came to know Christ. Father, I pray for all the churches in Alexander County that we would love each other. 
And we can't love our neighbor truly until we love each other. And Father, I pray that we'd show, show honor, uh, Lord, to, to all the family of God. And Father, I pray that we'd be fervent in spirit, Lord, not, not lagging behind, but Lord, be diligent about it. And Lord, then and only then can we truly, truly serve you like you've asked us to. Father, this, you don't call for special, unique spiritual gifts to do this. It's just opportunity. So Father, we're thankful and, and grateful, Lord, that, that your word says what it says and encourages us in the way that it does. And Father, if there's anyone listening today that has never placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that today will be their day of salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. God bless you. Hope everyone has a great week and hope to see you back here Sunday. Do not forget, let me say this before you leave. Uh, do not forget to give if you're prepared to give. If not, you can give online. Uh, Karen Hart's Pregnancy Center, I'll say this, they're pro-life before.